Okay. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Let's Camera Cocktails. I am the rose giving, <gasps> trumpet blowing, want to eat with my hands with a sandwich, Zenobia. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I am Lions Growling, Troy Batten. Fence building, down in the dirt, Lenny. Ooh. <laughs> and here on Lights, Camera, Cocktails. Cocktails. We pair amazing cocktails with amazing movies. Murmurs. And tonight is no different. No different whatsoever. So, Miss Lenny, Lenny, tell me what we drink it tonight. Tonight is the night that we are drinking the beautiful drink, the strikeout. Oh, that's right. Strike one, strike two, strike three. You're out of here. Yeah. This is a classic take on the strikeout because usually it's served with a darker brown whiskey, but we chose to do moonshine tonight. We did. Because in the movie, they drink a clear liquor. So we wanted to drink a clear liquor. We Mm -hmm. wanted a working man's type of drink. So we got some good old moonshine out here. And then we did a nice little lemon lime simple syrup. So it's two ounces of moonshine. And then it's an ounce of your lemon lime simple syrup, which is just lime juice, lemon juice, and some good old sugar. Yep. Very (laughs) simple. Very simple. And then we did uh, 0.5 ounces of triple sec and then topped it off with a beautiful bottle of Sprite on ice in a nice Tom Collins glass, a nice tall glass Mm -hmm. to make it all refreshing. Stir it on up, take a sip and enjoy, right? Here we go. I'm so excited. I made a big one. Okay. I made like, I didn't have like a nice slim Tom Collins glass. So I just did a really big Mason Mason jar. So she she has like equivalent of like two of these fucking strikeouts yeah. in one jug. I mean, I'm just gonna be sipping. Like, okay. I'm, I'm well, sipping maybe I have to high. send you some t- some Collins glasses because I got my. I love mojitos, no. so I had to make sure I had these glasses. No, I respect that. No, I really do. When we have our bar together, it's gonna be perfect. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Cheers, my love. Cheers. Ah, oh, I think it's so refreshing. I think it's really good. It tastes kind of like lemonade. It does have a very lemonade. I kind of want to put some mint in it because, you know, I told you me and my mojitos. So I I kind of want to put mint in it. But yeah. You're so funny. You always want to put mint in it. I do. I like it, though. I like it. This is really good. This is a good sampler. I'm not the smartest person on the moonshine. But what kind of moonshine are you drinking? I'm doing the old smoky moonshine. Okay. The clear, no flavor. I'm doing the white lightning one. Ooh, yeah, baby. My only thing, like, I get putting it in a mason jar because it's moonshine. But that shit is hard to pour. Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? I can't put a spout on it. I spilled some. I was all pissed. I was like, what? Come on, moonshine. I understand. Maybe you have a smaller mouth. Old Smokey, I mean, I would love to have you guys as a sponsor. And we'll do more of your guys' fucking... This shit is good, but... Because the moonshine, one, it's not very expensive. And two, it does really mix well with everything. Plus, they have so many different flavors. I almost picked up an apple one on accident because I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) And I was like, oh, wait, wrong one. And But yeah, and they had like the cherries there. Ooh, the cherries, yeah. Yeah, so. But see, this is what's really cool about the plain moonshine too is that you could like put any fruit in it and it'll absorb it. 
and it'll absorb the fruit flavors. Like throw some strawberries in there and then you got strawberry moonshine. Like, oh my God, it's I almost... have so much strawberries downstairs. I should definitely do that. Do Whatever's it. left in this bottle. Exactly. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm probably going to go through like half of it tonight. I mean, yes, I did get a, uh, I guess, a standard size mason jar. <laughs> standard size mason jar of moonshine. One pint, I guess, <laughs> of moonshine. I, I love the but packaging. The... I think it's cute. But that jar, though, it's hard to pour. I don't know. It's hard to pour. <laughs> we have a very special movie designed to talk about tonight. I'm really excited. Zenobia, do you want to introduce our favorite folks as to what we are we viewed this week? So we are watching the movie Fences in lieu of one of the coolest months of the year, February, Black History Month. We are going to be doing inspiring black cinema. Okay. It's yes. nice. We're kicking it off. This is great. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What is our history tonight? So let me get into it. Uh our little bit of history. Mm, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, baby. So um we've already spoken a little bit on the show about moonshine. So I wanted to kind of take us in a little bit of a different direction tonight. And in this movie, there is a very common practice that you see our main character, Troy Maxon doing in the film and it's called pouring one out oh uh-huh uh-huh so i i'm watching this of course iconically we know what this means pouring one out for the homies for the homies like, yeah exactly but then i was like where does this phrase really come from like where where do we pull this from why do we say it what do we do it maybe it's it's so deep embroidered into black culture that like that's why i learned from it is because i was able to watch the movies and all the music yeah. and I, I always heard it and i see this i saw the saying and so i went deep oh my god yes okay cuz <laughs> i i definitely pour one out i mean not every drink and i have to mainly be outside for me to pour it out but I have yeah. poured it out in namesake of people. Yeah. So, yes, I, I want to know the history. Let me hear it. I got you, girl. So here's the history. So pouring one out officially became a ceremonial thing thousands of years ago. What? This goes. Okay. This is actually what's really, really cool is that a bunch of different cultures started doing this, te- this technique. But obviously it was so long ago that it wasn't possible for them to have reached all these different yeah. regions. So there's these different regions that do them a little differently. I was, I was so, so it went I love viral before they could even connect up before to go they, viral. Exactly. It was a practice that people were doing all like all over the world. Okay. And we're talking ancient civilizations and like cultures. Oh my God. So you can definitely see the very beginning of all this happening. Well, first of all, let me go back to the actual term pouring it out. This is what was really cool. So originally what it's called is libation. Now, everyone uses that word. It's a fancy term for like a drink nowadays, right? I, I don't but, know. Yeah. So people, those like bougie ass fancy people are always like, oh, what libations will you be serving us today? You know, like, Ooh, a well, I'm sorry, you're New York. I don't, I know. <laughs> I, don't know. I know. <laughs> well, exactly. Like every single time someone would say it. It's like, oh, come on. They did not just say libation. But joke's on them because the actual term libation means to pour out a drink and offering to a deity. Oh, okay. That is the actual term for it. So this goes back to cultures that really had like high 
praise and high respect for a lot of their gods and their mm-hmm. deities. So we're talking ancient Egyptians, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Ancient Egyptians, you can see in like all of their old depictions of a lot of their images, they would pour out honey, they'd pour out wine, they would pour out milk to all of these deities to like help in their afterlife and for like their souls, which I think is like really fucking cool. They always used to majority though, in like the old textures, they would pour out water because they viewed that as the life-giving liquid. So they would only pour out like drinks, milk, water, honey, whatever, if they didn't have like, or they couldn't spare the water that they had. I guess that is like, you know, the most value out of everything. Mm -hmm. And it was to like toast the dead to like, for their afterlife. Here's a a, a living life source to go on with you to the next world. So that was like the ancient Egyptians were doing that as well as the ancient Greeks. (laughs) No idea. (laughs) That's you. (laughs) That's me. Ancient Greeks, I freaking love them. They were doing it, obviously, for their gods because they were very into the mythology. They are also doing it for their war heroes and for the dead themselves. They would do copious amounts of wine, but they wouldn't just do, like, little spills. They would give vials, like, vases, like, huge amounts of alcohol were just given, donated, and poured out for all the gods. Like, I would have to sit there and watch them pour out a gallon of wine, and I'd cry. (laughs) I know. Because... I, know. I would be I would be a god of champagne. I'd be like, I need yeah. you to pour all the champagne Just into my mouth. Pop all those bottles, pop baby. the bottles. <laughs> okay. But then what's really cool though is that the Greeks would then pour out the a drink and then they would crash the glasses and like break the vases in celebration. Like that was their oh, opa, like their crazy yeah. break. Okay, okay. I like this. And then this is really fun. They can trace this back to ancient indigenous tribes of the African countries. Okay, here we go. They wouldn't just do alcohol. These these actual people would do grains and rice offerings. And they would pour out little bits of their own grains and their own rice to give offerings uh, to all their dead oh. and to their gods. Okay. All right. A little different, but still the same. I know. And then you can also see it in traces in like South America and then also some places in China. But they, in China, they more didn't do it for gods or any kind of deity of some kind. They would do it to their ancient ancestors. They would give off offerings and little bits here and there. But, and it's not so much of a pour out as it was just like gifts. So that's when you start to see it change a little bit. And then that's, we now know it today as it's such a a cultural offering to all of our fallen soldiers and dead homies, like, or anyone that we want to show love and respect to, we'll just pour one out, you know, just like give a little something. And we've seen them all. And like, we saw it in this movie in Fences, Troy does it for all of his Oh, it's in everything. So I like it's, I can't, in it's in you know rap songs Music. and videos. It's in movies. It's in TV shows. It's like a punchline sometimes. You know, like just... I mean, stupidly, it's in like Doctor Evil does it. Remember one for yeah. me and one for my homies. For my homies like, <laughs> because he's trying to be you know street. You know, dude. Yeah, and then I love it when. Uh, like one of my favorite lyrics from Tupac. I know you're gonna make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm about to pour out some liquor and have a toast for the homies. See, we both got to die, but you chose to go before me. Look at you thug life Dude. over there. Okay. Dude, how many brothers fell victim to the streets? There's a heaven for a G. <laughs> Is there a heaven for a G? 
All right, so is that show? That's a, that is my little bit of history for pouring out for my homies. Yes. Yeah, baby. I thought that was fun. I, I was like, like Wait that. A I Thanks. really is. Uh, you, oh, you took me down a whole nother rabbit hole. I did not see myself going down. And wait a minute, though. He also. So this is something I didn't even know about, though. And I looked it up because he's always Denzel's always hitting the bottle, the bottom of the bottle mm-hmm. right before he does it. And I didn't know if that's like got to get the demons out of this bottle. Like, I didn't understand exactly why he was smacking the butt of a bottle. Like, I really didn't get it because it kind of looks like. And then I was like, wait, it looks like kind of like a ketchup bottle. You know, when you do that thing. Yeah. And that is, in fact, another thing. It's breaking the seal of the bottle. So since there's that volume of air in the top of the neck of a bottle, you're supposed to do that so it breaks the seal. So Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Apparently you're supposed to do it for every bottle. I'm not going to do that. I'm only, not going to do it. Only if the, I can't do it. Like, But ma- back then they made, you know, their bottle caps was made out of real steel or some stupid yeah. shit like that, you know, or like. Probably like hard. If I ever have a bottle, or not if, but when I have a bottle of Denzel, if he doesn't do that to his bottle and be like, Denzel, you're disappointing me. <laughs> Smack that bottle, baby. I just want to just shake his hand and say thank you. That's all. I will, you know, I'll try not to fangirl, but I would just say thank you. Thank you for. No, he's he's such an admirable artist and actor, and he's done so much for the community that, yeah, there's nothing but love and respect that comes with that man, right? Right, right. (laughs) You're like, bitch, it's Denzel. It's Denzel. I mean,. He's Denzel. I don't know what else to say except hook me up with your son, Denzel. Hey. Damn. <laughs> Damn, she went there. He's way closer to my age than Denzel is. <laughs> you know, you gotta think, <laughs> think smart. She doesn't want the original. She wants the upgrade. I want the upgrade, oh. but then I'd still get to be part of his family, you know, see him on Thanksgiving, you know, be That's part true. of the Christmas card. That's all. You know, I'd get a... This one- I get a gift from Daddy Denzel under the Christmas tree. <laughs> Just like one of you so close, I can call him Denzi. Hey, Denzi. Daddy Denzi. Hello, little Denzi. Daddy Denzi. I missed you, Denzi. I you know. Dunze. I know. Okay. So, this month is Black History Month. So, Woo-hoo. I thought I'd give you guys a cool Black History fact to uh, kick off your month. Yeah. So, one in four cowboys were black, despite the stories told by popular books and movies. In fact, it is believed that the real Long Ranger was inspired by the African-American man named Bass Reeves. And Reeves has been, was born a slave but escaped west during the Civil War where he lived in what was then known as Indian Territory. And he eventually became deputy U.S. marshal and was the master of disguises and an expert marksman and had a Native American companion and rolled a silver horse. So don't let Hollywood make you think that because the Lone Ranger was not a white man, but he was a black man. And most cowboys, not most, but like you said, you know, one in four were one in four <laughs> were black. We were out there uh rounding up horses and you know doing all the cowboy shit. So oh, yeah. That's a little bit of black history. Yeah. Bow wow. Bow wow. And I want myself a sexy cowboy. 
Ooh. Oh. Well, you know what they say. Save a horse, ride a cowboy. But hey, ra- save a horse, ride a cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just remember, one in four cowboys you will ride will be black. <laughs> in Madrid. <laughs> you know, but that makes Django Unchained really a lot more important to me because it probably could have been maybe a true story. That's true. So, I mean, we should definitely do that movie in the future, not during Black History Month. Sorry, y'all. But Oh, God, um, no. We already have a perfect set list for yeah, Black History Month. Yeah, so we can definitely look more into that. Okay, so are you ready? So give it to me, girl. I want to hear it. So you grab your strike out and get ready for the motherfucking drinking game. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All I right. love it. I Let's get love it. So you're going to take a sip when someone tells Troy that he's lying. Oh, shit. So, you know, when he be talking, he be like, Rose, you know, you know. And I said, Bono, I can watch that front door by myself. It was that back door I was worried about. Oh, you no, know he's lying. Any of those, you're going to take a sip. Oh, my gosh. And he is. He lies about everything. He does. But someone else will say he's lying. Or okay. I will also take, am I lying? When he says, like, am I lying? Look here, Bono. Am I lying? Oh, that's a good one. I'll take either one of those. Okay? Mm-hmm. You're going to take a sip when Linus comes and asks for money. You was in the neighborhood because it's my payday. Well, hell, since you mentioned it, let me have $10. <laughs> I'll be damned. Or gives money. See, Pop? If you gave somebody else a chance to talk sometime, you see I was fixing to pay you back your $10 like I told you. Yeah. Fuck Yeah. So when he... I love their little Friday ritual. Honestly, I think it's something to rely on. Like Lions comes in, you know he wants ten bucks. Okay, so <laughs> I personally get it because if it was me, I would definitely know to come on Friday because that's when he's gonna have the the gin out there. We could drink, mm-hmm. and you know he does get paid. And let me see if he you know send me some money. He's probably gonna say no or yes. Give me a hard time, whatever. My dad gives me a hard exactly. time too, but I know he's gonna give me the money. And it's fine. You know, I just have to put up with the... Yeah, get you a drink. Me and him got understanding. I know why he come by to see me, and he know I know. Yeah, there's got to be a lecture attached to it. Yeah. But he does pay him back, so... Mm-hmm. You know, what do you want? He does. So you gonna take a simp when someone says the devil... He ain't talk seen to no too. devil. I told him that man ain't had nothing to do with the devil. Anything he can't understand, he want to call it the devil. Death... I don't know why you want to get on talking about death. Ain't nothing wrong with talking about death. That's a part of life. Everybody gonna die. Or hellhounds. Hellhounds snipping at everybody's heels, but I got my trumpet waiting on the judgment time. Ooh, shit, the hellhounds. I love when Gabriel brings out those hellhounds. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna fight the hellhounds today. I'm like, fuck yeah, yeah. you are gay. He was like, I was out there. I was fighting them hellhounds, and they locked oh. me up at Troy Cave, and he was like, you better let them go. Or I'm going to beat you up. And, you know, they yeah. let me go. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. So anytime you hear that, Hellhounds is probably the most that and death. But they do talk about the devil as well. So. And they do talk about the devil, the Reaper. The Reaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Troy's always f- freaking, freaking out about the Reaper coming down, knocking on his door. 
because he has to pay for his sins, yo. He does. He's got Rose sins. is telling him. She's like, yo, you keep talking and worried about the devil, but it's God you're going to have to answer to. And he don't mm-hmm. want to hear none of that. So no, that's on you. Um, you going to take a simp when Gabe talks about the gates. Hey, Rose, it's time. It's time to tell St. Peter to open the gates. So this is when he comes out and he's throwing his horn. He's like, yeah, you know, I saw you went to the gates and I saw your name in the books. Your name in there too, Rose. I I know it is. Oh, yeah. Yep. He's beautiful. He he does a great job. I love. He is incredible. Yeah. (laughs) I love the very end. He makes it in there at the end and he tries and tries and he blows the horn. And Finally, and the sky the clears. Uh, and the sky clears, and the gates open. And he's like, "That's how that's done." That's the way that goes. And he just like walks yeah, off. I love. Just walks off. <laughs> I'm like, Gabe, fuck yeah, Gabe. And they're just amazed. And I think it's truly such like a, a forgiving moment for everything because he does it for Troy. He calls it out for Troy. He like knows that he's this like, is for Troy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he opens up the gates for Troy. And I, you know that through this whole movie, Troy has so much torn feelings about like, taking his brother's money to buy, to buy the house that put the head, like the house for all right. of them to live mm-hmm. in and stuff. So I love that moment for them when he blows the horn. And yes. you're like, he just, he, it's like him forgiving, like, Troy, I love you, man. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So anytime there's some gates, you're going to take Gabe a- and his gates. Gabe Ow, and his gates. A- um, you gonna take a simp when someone talks about or works on the fence? The fucking fence. That fence. You just Ugh. slowly watch it be built, and I mean, like, yeah. you know, some people build fences. Some people build fences to keep people out, and other people build fences to keep people in. Build fences to keep, fences to keep in. them in. You know, and Ugh. I feel like Troy was keeping people out, and Rose was trying to keep people in. Yep, it's true. <laughs> And Corey just refused to build build the fence, which is so telling because he just wanted to be free. Like so, yeah. So all the fence reference when, you know, he's out there. If you see him cutting some of the stuff or digging the holes mm-hmm. for the fence, you're going to take a sip. All right. Take a sip. The labor of love. The labor of love. You're going to take a sip when Troy <laughs> says Rose. Hey, Rose! I told everybody. Hey, Rose! He says it so goddamn much. Like, you're going to be so drunk. I hope you're ready for that one. He's like, Rose! Rose! He's just screaming her name. She's like, what? I know. I love when he's so he's drunk come walking down the street. You're supposed to Rose! come when I call. She's like, I- You're supposed to come when I call you, woman. Bono will tell you that. Don't you see him come when you call her? Man, hush your mouth. I ain't no dog talking about coming when you call me. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, oh, it's so good. He calls her name, says her name all the time. So get ready to get drunk on the rose. Perfect. You won't take a simp when someone drinks or passes the bottle. We ain't finished this pint. Come here and finish this pint. Well, hell, I am if you ever turn the bottle loose. <laughs> nice. That's smart, too, because, like, you got to drink when they're drinking. You got to drink when they're drinking. And I just want to point out that what they are drinking is gin. I literally stared at a blurry picture of the bottle and was like, that's gin. Yeah. You are not supposed to drink gin like that. No way. <laughs> gin is not made to sample by itself. It's not on the rocks or neat. None of that shit. You are supposed to mix it 
with other stuff. So I have no clue how the hell they're sitting out there just drinking gin. That's not what gin is made for. No way. <laughs> I mean, I, I they're like cleaning out their arteries or something. Like, I don't even know. Like, it's just too much. I thought it was maybe vodka or I don't know. That's what you would think. Or like some kind of like clear grain alcohol, which is like why we, I chose us to drink moonshine. Because one, we know what happens when we drink gin on this show. Every- <laughs> I tried Everybody, to warn you, and I'm so you glad did. that you are on the same page with me now, and know that we just throw them in there once in a while because once I in can't, a while I can't. Which maybe we should have say I didn't realize there was just a lot of maybe what have should have could us <laughs> with every with the time I gin. No one's questioning that gin will give us a good time, mm. good time gin, but it's just not productive. <laughs> is what's really important here. <laughs> And we are going to see how this moonshine does because we've only had one other moonshine drink in here and it was really good. It was the apple pie moonshine. We drank it for life. And me and Jason, it was so good. I made it. I added the apples and all the shit in it. And me and Jason drank that shit because it was so fucking good. But we got really (sighs) drunk. He said he had like leg spasms that night. Like, so. Oh, dear. So I am weary about the moonshine. But so far, so good. So far, so good. So I'm still so feeling good. good. So you're going to take a simp when someone says a baseball term. So like that whole oh, speech. You're ready for that whole speech where he's like, you know, you come up to the to the plate and you already got two strikes against you. But you're born with two strikes on you before you come to the plate. You've got to guard it closely, always looking for the curveball on the inside corner. You can't afford a call strike. You can't let nothing get past you. If you're going down, you're going down swinging. Everything lined up against you. And you're swinging Uh. and you're sliding and he's just saying everything he's saying is baseball shit. Rose is either like, we're not even talking about baseball. Like, we ain't talking about baseball. What the hell are you trying to say to me? That's like one of the best parts, too. When she shuts him down, she's like, I've been on second base with you. I was like, oh, my God. She's like, I spent the last 18 years next to you. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. Don't you think I ever wanted other things? Don't you think I had dreams and hopes? What about my life? What about me? You know, I don't know. What the fuck? You think my life is roses? Shit. I know. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, yeah. There's a bunch of baseball terms thrown yes. around. So, if anyone talks about a strike, a hit, home runs, out of the parks, you're going to take a sale. They you talk about it. that a lot when they talk about Troy's career. Yes. Even though he was old as fuck. Why don't you just admit you were too old for the major leagues for once? Why don't you just admit that? I know. I really, I always appreciated that in the writing to that little twist. Like you think it's one thing and then you realize with more information through the play that it was actually totally something else. That How are you going to play ball when you were over 40? It had so much layers to that. The writing is just so incredible. We I will mean, definitely, I, we will get we're going it. to Sorry. like break this whole shit down. One thing that I love is that Rose is all about the baseball shit. Like she knows her yeah. shit. She knows she her does. play. She listens to the game. Like, I love her. She's okay. the best. I love Rose. Oh, no. so oh you, Rose. You don't take a sip when someone says a recruiter. Corey DeNorton got recruited by a college football team. Or mentions signing the papers. Ugh. Yeah. So it's brutal. It is pretty brutal to think that sports aren't going to get you anywhere except that it's going to get you. A free ride to fucking to college. College. And that's like what's crazy is that Rose keeps on reiterating that to him. Like it's not about 
you know, him trying to make it as a professional player. Like that is not the only reason. It's just why the only Corey way we're going to get him out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going to get him an education. Like, and that's what kills me is that that's what Troy can't focus on. He's focusing on the fact that he feels like he was taken advantage of as a player during that time mm-hmm. and how he wouldn't, and that black players weren't appreciated or taken seriously in the games, which I mean, during that time, what, in the 50s. Then, yeah. yeah, it is true. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some, he's valid in some of his rantings, but then when you realize, again, we'll, we'll dive more deep into it. You yeah, realize that I, that's I, I really want to talk about Troy yeah. and all his shit. So, yeah. So anytime they talk about the recruiter or signing the papas, you're going to take a sample. You gonna take a simp when Troy talks sexy to Rose? So when he's talking about like, you know, look what's up. I thought you're supposed to be putting up the fence. I'll put it up when I finish with what is at hand. Come on, Troy. Or he's like grabbing on her booty and like you know saying, "Let's go upstairs." And even the line where he's like, "I come in, I fall on top of you, and I try to bust a hole." I know. Yeah, into your universe. Yeah, he's just. Oh. Um. You gonna take a sip, cause you know all that shit is not what it seems to be. I know it's really it fools ya. It fools ya. So you gonna finish your drink when Corey asks Troy, "How come he doesn't like him?" Oh, how come you ain't never like me? Like you? Who the hell said I got to like you? So that's the time to definitely finish your drink because it is one of the most emotional scenes heartbreaking you guys i cried so much watching this movie exactly you know and me and lenny are blessed to have you know very loving and supporting parents that would never who would never say i don't have to like you (laughs) who says (laughs) i don't have to like you i know it's so sad you but but there is that old phrase that old saying like I love you, but I don't have to like you right now. (laughs) Right. Which would make sense if that's what he said. Exactly. Because like, I mean, and then we'll we'll get into more when we're talking about Troy. Just because you have these requirements and these responsibilities to me doesn't mean that you actually like me. I want to know that you actually like me. You spend time with me. Like, he probably never goes to his son's games, just like he never goes to Lion's shows. Like, That just breaks my heart. I know. And he, and you almost think he's going to do it, too. On one of the last times, Lyons asks him he's to go. Him. He's, he's paid a, him his money. He paid him he's his like, money. I'm, he's in a good... He's playing at a venue. good place. Yeah. Hey, Pa, you want to come down to the grill hear me play? Oh, man, I ain't going down there. I'm too old to be hanging out in them clubs. And you almost, for a second, think he's going to do it. And then he's like, no, I'm going to get drunk go to bed. You're like, damn it, man. Like, I feel like if just Bono said, like, yeah, me and the missus are going, I, maybe he would have went. But he just, I know. we also, me and Lenny are also, again, blessed to be artists and have parents that are supportive of us having chosen the life of being artists. And which is a shitty road because you ain't gonna make no money and it don't really make nope. sense except to our other artists and people who enjoy it. Like, so I, mm-hmm. I understand, like, he's just like, all I want to do is do my music. I don't mess with nobody. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's what, it. I got a woman who loves me, and like I'm straight. So, so you oh gonna my. finish your drink when he tells Rose about the baby? Oh shit! It's like I gotta tell you something. She's like, oh, tell me later. I'm trying to like get your damn lunch because I'm a perfect ass wife. I know she's so good. I'm trying to tell you. Find a way to tell you that I'm gonna be a daddy. Uh, I'm gonna be a dad. 
how do you tell your wife you're gonna be a daddy I can like oh my god like and that whole moment too the lead up of what he's about to say because he's like and I can't we can't ignore it anymore because it's gonna be straight in our faces I'm like oh yep and she's pregnant like you you first think he's just gonna finally admit to the affair even though if it hadn't been for the pregnancy probably never would have told Rose about the affair Mm -hmm. I just want to point some stuff out about that scene real quick um, yeah. One, I love that as soon as he decides to tell her, you can hear in the background ticking of a clock. Like, it's urgent. And I also love that they have oh. Gabe walking in and interrupting the flow. It's like when, you, you know, your parents, when you walk into the room, you can always kind of tell when they're fighting or when shit's not good. Even as a kid and you walk in you're, and they stop talking and they're just kind of like looking mad at each other. And you're like, uh, okay, I just then I don't need any chips. It's fine. And you just like, yeah. walk away. And just so walk away. like Gabe, uh, obviously he can't gauge that. Mm-hmm. So him just walking in like, here's a rose, rose. I got your rose. Hello. Like when all she wants to do is like stab this dude right now in the fucking kitchen. Right. In the kitchen. <laughs> oh my God. It was so bad. So bad. <laughs> so bad. Oh. Yeah. So uh wear a rubber when you're sleeping with your side chick. That's the only thing I could say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Although Raynell becomes like one of the most beautiful parts of the ending of this film. Like she yes. is. She is so beautiful. So it's funny that her entrance into the whole story is a byproduct of the chaos that ruins this family. Mm -hmm. But what comes from it is quite extraordinary and gives rice. It gives Rose a whole new purpose and realization in her life, which I just think is so beautiful. I agree. So you go finish your drink when Corey and his sister sing the blue song. Oh, old blue. And a man, her name was blue. And it just brings back oh all God. the memories and the feelings that he does have for his dad uh, right back. So, Oh, my God. And Corey just, like, breaks down. Yeah, she's like, come on, you know the song. Come on. Do you have anything else you would add to the Drake game? Ooh, I don't know. Um, I really want to do one for Bono because I really feel like... He's like my favorite. He he is my favorite. I love his his character. I love the actor that plays this character. Mm-hmm. Like he's just so beautiful. So maybe when he gives Troy like a warning, like I see you with that Alberta girl. <laughs> like, he's like, you know, I just buy her a drink to be nice. He's like, it's all right to buy her one drink. That's what you call being polite. But when you want to be buying two or three. That's what you call eyeing her. You eyeing her. That's eyeing her. Yeah, you need to watch yourself. (laughs) It's so good. And he's so smart. He knows his best friend. He knows what's up. So I'd say every single time he tries to pull Troy away and give him a warning, take a sip. But when he pulls him to the side and really gives him, he's like, no, Rose is a good woman. He was like, once I saw you getting Rose, I was like, well, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. I followed your ass and I found me a good woman and you Mm -hmm. found you a real good woman. She loves baseball, puts up with your shit, takes care of your Mm -hmm. brother. You know, it was nice to her stepson, gave you Mm -hmm. a child, cleans the house, feeds you, loves you down. And yeah, I, like I don't know what more you want. Exactly, 
And I just never understood this. Like, he's like, I can laugh at her house. Like, do you not have fun here? Do you not laugh here? Like, I know that responsibility is bogging you down, but like, Rose is like, you guys seem to be having a good life. Like, I don't know. You own a house. You got promoted. (laughs) I know. He gets promoted. I don't know. what Your wife, she don't ask much of you, if anything, except like, you know, let go of the cash. But she says, she's like, I hand the cash. Give it here. I really do love that, though, that he always has to pass over his, yeah. his salary. And then she gives him, you know, a couple bucks his, back. His six bucks back. Yeah. So I would say if we could add that one to the drinking game, or is that just too cray? No, I like it. I like it. So, um, yeah, that is the motherfucking drinking game. game. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So it is time for the stats. Just give me those stats, stats, stats. I can't wait for those stats, stats, stats. I want to pump those stats, stats, stats. And give you stats, stats, stats. So this stats. movie is not that old. Um, no, it's not. It came out December 25th, 2016, baby. It was a Christmas movie. Uh, and I definitely went to the movies maybe... I think I went that Christmas. I think we went to go see it. Mm-hmm. I saw it in around that time. Yeah, I saw yeah. that around that time. I definitely went to the theaters to see it, but it budget for this movie is twenty four million dollars. So translate that into twenty twenty one money. It's going to be twenty six million dollars to make this movie. Uh, okay, it's a good. It's not a. It's not a bad budget for not, what for like a a single staged yeah, <laughs> type of film. You it know, so is literally pretty much all in. You know, one location, the backyard mm-hmm. or the inside the house of some sort. So th- I could see that. Plus, you don't really got to pay Denzel for being Denzel. You got to pay Denzel director. So that makes sense. And you only have to pay, you know, Viola Davis is probably the other next highest paid person. And everybody else yeah, should be true. a lot smaller. So it totally makes sense. And it, it wouldn't cost too And you're buying the copyrights from the, the Wilson company. So it made $64 million. Translated into 2021 money, it was $70 million. So it made money. It made sense. Nice. Yeah. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Pretty good. So you ready for the Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, am I? <laughs> I'm so nervous. Okay, here we go. I'm ready. You ready? Okay. Critics, 92%. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she looked real panic. Okay, one, I totally oh. think that this is because it is a already well-known and true version. It's a piece of like literary piece of, genius. Yeah, that like you can't really do it wrong unless you no. cast it wrong, but it was cast mm-hmm. brilliantly. Um, yes, it was. So I understand why everybody would be like, ooh, and critics get that it was a play and see all of the play ambiance and the way that their even their performances come off theatrically, not as much as a film portrayal. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Did you feel that way or is that just me? Um, Sometimes it felt like super real, especially, you know, on the big scenes. But a lot of times, especially like when Troy is telling his stories and, you know, he's joking around, it feels very theatrical as in maybe it's because I've seen it live first. Like, (laughs) 
Yeah, I will say I have to agree. Um, there's moments when you, I, there are scenes, big scenes, really when there's just so much of the high intensity emotions that those lines get blurred. All of Gabriel's scenes, I never feel like that's theatrical and in any way, especially like the silent acting of Denzel as Troy, like watching his brother and like trying to calm him down. I just got to get you out of the street. And he's yeah, like, no, no. Nope, <laughs> so those scenes are always just like so powerful anything with rose i i do think that sometimes though especially when troy gets so defensive and he does he goes on to those rants and those those rambles of like you know death death is coming it's knocking like yeah then yeah i do get i do get it to be a little theatrical i'm not saying that the entire thing is though. i'm saying no, no, that for sure. oh yeah very moments where you're just like okay yes yes Mm-hmm. Should I clap now? Is the curtain going to go down? <laughs> like, oh, this must this must have been where intermission was. Like, I, you know, mm-hmm. like that's how I feel about this for sure. And I think sure. the critics saw the same thing, and that's why they gave it to ninety two, which is one of our highest scores in our yeah. show. And it makes it. I mean, I, I mean, I can tell you. I mean, I'm going to tell you what I would give it. But. So the audience uh-huh. gives it. A 75%. What the fuck? And this is where I'm saying that some of the theatrical parts I feel like are lost on people who are not in the arts Ugh. per se. If you're not like a, you know, in the theater or a no. filmmaker or, you know, someone who enjoys going to the theater a lot, then some of this might be, I don't know. That's just kind of what I am taking off of the data that I have received. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, I just mm, you're just so much nicer because I just think it's bullshit. I think it's uh, people have a problem sitting down and listening to long dialogue yeah. that's more dramatic than it is action packed, thrilling. Yeah. There's no sci fi flashing through their eyes, no. so they're just like, "Oh, what is this?" Like people are just talking now. Like, fuck you. I get this that, is... but Quentin Tarantino does a bunch of shit of just people talking all the goddamn time, and we and love he's that a niche, shit. Though. Well, <laughs> some people don't though. Some people don't do find Jackie Brown to be like a long ass movie of just talking. Well, which I I don't know who those people are because we've already done that on this show because I fucking love that movie. <laughs> no, I love Jackie Brown. Don't get me wrong. I think you and I. That's one of the top ten things we agreed. Like, are we best friends now? Like, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Definitely, that definitely was one. Because like, I think I came into your house and you had the poster on the wall, and I was like, "Did I?" The- <laughs> this is like when we first met each other, and I came over this to rehearse like- at her house. And I was like, "What?" Oh my god, we're like best uh, friends instant. I know it was amazing. <laughs> it was hilarious. Now, but what? A, I mean, I don't feel that way about Jackie Brown. I just feel like I don't know why I had to say that, but I, I had to. Say- She's like, I am not one of these Jackie Brown haters. I'm not one of these Jackie Brown haters. I just need that to be on record. (laughs) Um, But I just also, I don't know. I just think this is an incredible piece of writing. So anyone who can't, I just, it's so good. It's so captivating to me. Like I I couldn't, you can't, sometimes I forget to breathe. Girl, okay. In some of these scenes. Run Tomato Sucks. I mean, except the critics this week. They actually, uh, pretty spot on critics. What's up? Usually... Usually the critics are the parts that get me. Usually I'm just like, fuck the critic. Yeah. But wow, viewership got me a little bummed on this one. I was just okay. trying to make sense of why it would be so low. I mean, 75 is a good number, but it's not for this movie. I, it's not. Yeah. I The ZZ Fresh, though. ZZ Fresh. Give me that ZZ Fresh. The rating that truly matters 
is a hundred. I don't 100%. have I don't have anything. One, the writing is brilliant and the yep. adapting from stage to film is pretty spot on and brilliant in the small mm-hmm. changes that they did make. The costuming and the location shots are gorgeous and it so feels the way that he films it, it feels like it's still on a stage, which makes me feel really happy. Um, mm-hmm. It's just everything, everything, everything. I have no negative. Casting was brilliant. Set design, costumes, everything. Was exactly. That's my Lenny Zest, too, is a 100%. 100%. The acting is phenomenal. Viola Davis does it again and again and again. If you if you sleeping on her, I'm going to punch you in the face. Exactly. Exactly. I was just like, no. Like, she is my everything. <laughs> I love her. I love her. I love her. Um, you know, Denzel's Denzel. He's super. He's, it's just a perfect cast. It's perfect casting. Perfect script screenplay i mean it's basically i mean they they interpreted it to screen but honestly like they gave august wilson all the writing credit because it is his words like it's directly word for word like the set was incredible the costuming is incredible i mean everything just down to every little bit is so good 100 percent. i don't know what else to say except i can't say anything else like the show's over thank you so much for listening thank you let's get our cocktails let's get our cocktails (laughs) (laughs) and what i really super love is that this is basically the revival play just with like a couple of different actors but it is the the revival play that they had on Broadway. So you can see the history six years later. Th- th- it's still true to to themselves, to the characters. You can see the the oh Denzel and Viola just vibe, dude. Just you vibe. can see why it was cast that way. And you can see that they had done it a hundred times and that you could see mm-hmm. that why not have somebody I don't have to direct? Like, I really don't have to direct these people at all, exactly. except like minor exactly. things. So, And just getting the best out of them that, that you can get. Yeah. And what I super duper love too, I mean, this is just like, side note, we can include this or not, but I love that Denzel was one of the pr- main producers. He got Ma Rainey's Black Bottom to be made with Netflix. He's a huge producer. And he cast Viola Davis yet again because she's brilliant. You just like know that those two have a really great working relationship. And I think they both respect each other for what they bring to Black Hollywood because they are just like, seriously, so both of them are huge pioneers and done so much. And uh it's just it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful to have them together as this like powerhouse now making these incredible films. Thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, well okay. that is the stats. Everyone, huh. it is time for Lenny's <laughs> Literary Library. Oh, mm-hmm. come on, come yes. on. The, the librarian <laughs> is in. <laughs> You're like my town crier. <laughs> <laughs> Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The librarian is in. So, why don't you give Um, us some uh, Linny's literary library? (laughs) Oh, from um, from page to screen. From from the page. Wait, I really want to get like this sound bite of me like flipping through pages. A tale as old as time. (laughs) Moving through the pages of history. 
from page to film. Ooh. This is Lenny's Literary Library. There's like John Williams composure, like oh happening goodness. behind me. I do not have the budget for that. Um, <laughs> Damn yeah. it, I quit. <laughs> so I am super duper honored to be talking about this beautiful man, August Wilson. He is an incredible playwright. I would argue he's one of the most important playwrights of the 21st century. Uh, His writing, he's incredible. For a gentleman who built himself up completely, self-educated, he dropped out of high school when he was 15 and secretly was going to the library to get his own education. Um, He's a Pulitzer Prize winning individual. He wrote 10 perfect, great works of art to complete his whole body of work and Unfortunately, we lost him, but he gave us such a gift and these incredible writings that just have their own writing style. I I feel like he invented this writing style that he has and it it blows my mind. And ah, I really wish that someday I can own the entire collection and not just like stupid printouts that I I illegally copied. I know. That's true. I have all of these, I have all of his scripts, but they're, they've been photocopied from when I was at the Academy of Art because we had this like incredible, I, like, incredible I library of scripts. Like, have that uh, I know. Maybe we'll buy each other that for like Valentine's Day or something. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Or like, I think that he is amazing. I have to thank my high school teacher, theater teacher, for mm-hmm. introducing me to him. Her name mm-hmm. is Mrs. Pipitone. I called her Miss Pamp and she <laughs> was, she wasn't like one of those overbearing white teachers who like mm-hmm. throw Maya Angelou shit at you and like, here, perform this. And you're like, okay, there's more in the world. And yeah. so she would, I remember her pulling me aside when we had to do like our book reports on different plays. And she was like, I think you should probably read Fences. It's a good one. And there's a lot of good monologues in there. And you know, it's black writer, black people. And I remember reading it and being like, oh, my God, this is really good. And, like, just watching the movie and hearing them say the lines, like, it kind of instantly takes me back to being, like, 15 and reading this <laughs> for school oh, and being like, oh, yeah. okay, this is a good one. Like, you know, she was really great at giving me, like, four color girls, you know, to, like, round out, you know, a raisin in the sun. Like, here, read these. Yeah. These are, like, big ones that you should definitely, out of everybody, should know. And I was like, all right, thank mm-hmm. you. And, like, I definitely appreciate Miss Pipitone, Miss Pamp, for for opening me up to this. That's really beautiful. I love that. I think that she I gave did- it to me, like, like, maybe a year or two before he died. He died in, like, 2004 or five. I remember when I was in high school, he died. But, yeah, I think that he's the first to write black characters that sound like black characters like black people especially in different generations of them because like the way that troy talks sounds a lot like the way my fucking old ass uncle talks just some of the shit like jackie robinson ain't shit i done seen a hundred niggas play baseball better than jackie robinson hell i seen some teams jackie robinson couldn't even make talking about jackie robinson jackie robinson wasn't nobody no just talking mess you're like dang you do sound like an old drunk black guy from like the 50s i guess (laughs) like you know so i totally i i hear i i I hear different people when i hear his writing and i don't necessarily feel that way about you know other writings uh but his it does hit close to home i guess i don't know well so he has a very distinct uh they call it the blues trope. 
uh, a lot of lit- literary uh, professors like dedicated a lot of their study to the style that he does because you in all of his plays he always does have some kind of resemblance of the blues he's blues were so important Mm -hmm. to him it's like one of the biggest inspirations of his entire life and that's how he forms his writing is he 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 and this is he's such a humanist and that's one of my favorite things about him is because i truly believe that i myself as a humanist and he more than anything believed that like empathy was like the open road to humanity. Like that's how you get to people. That's how you really will bring the people together. And that's what like fueled him. And so like with the blues trope, he was doing all these forms and shapes and that's how his writing, he likes to have that like jazz, a a flow, Mm -hmm. a flow and a feel to it. And it's bringing those ideas of like the blues aesthetic from not just the music, but he wanted to make it the vernacular. He wanted to add it into his scripts and it's just, it's got that flow. You've got that like really fast pace. Everything's vibing, everything's smoothing. And all of a sudden it's like, boom. And things get like slow and super tragic. And then all of a sudden it just picks up again. And it's just, he has yeah, that. That's true. And it's, it's super beautiful. And what's really cool about Fences is that it pulls away from the music aspect. You've got Lyons, who's still a musician, and it kind of pulls away from his main idea of like bringing a lot of the blues music to it. And it focuses on baseball, which I always thought was really cool too, because especially the huge controversy and like the fucked upness of like the Negro leagues to the major leagues and how that was such a big deal. Even to this, finally this past year, uh, baseball officially put the Negro leagues into their hall of fame and recognize them as actual teams in their sport. It took this long for them to fucking do it. And they finally did it. I know. And so it's, it, it's a it's a big transition in his writing to have that and all the metaphors that come with it. But even still, it has that he has that bluesy vibe. I mean, they even attribute "Old Blue" the bluesy song, you know. Yeah. So Plus, like that's you know, a- Rose be singing in the kitchen and shit. Like, oh, I know. You know she I just wanted like how she could sing in. Yeah, that's me. And you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like you know, Gabe, you know, singing and yelling down the street. Like you know, yeah. It's very sing-songy and some and sometimes you know you could feel maybe that is what I'm people are feeling when it's like too theatrical. Is that like oh, it's his... it's very rhythm, very yeah. Well, that's what I didn't know this. Uh, I learned this recently when I was uh, this is a little fun fact. The plays, so they were gonna have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. They wanted to make it an actual musical. Oh, okay. And August Wilson said no. He, he's like, no way are you turning this beautiful, dramatic piece into a musical, even though there's a lot of music playing, mm-hmm. the actors are always playing there, and they're singing a lot, and there is like a whole entire soundtrack that they have for this, now the movie as well. He refused. He said, no, you're not doing that, and since he has like final say, they didn't, obviously, but they tried to make that into a musical play, and he said no. Award-winning play, it's been played yep. on for years. Uh, he wrote this so one good. in the 80s, right? Like 83? Yeah. He wrote that uh, that one in 1984. Four. It was the second play he ever wrote. That one takes place in the 1920s. So that's how he writes all of his... If, if you guys don't know a lot about yep. August Wilson, that's how his 10 plays, nine of them are in, set in the Pittsburgh area, and then one of them is for Chicago. And he sets it... It's supposed to describe the cultural experience for migrants 
during different decades of black history. And so we can see in Fences, that's supposed to depict the 1950s. Ma Ma Rainey, which we've been talking a lot about, that's for like the 1920s. Yeah, one of the other, uh, The Piano Lessons, which is another uh, one that is a film as well. Oh, yeah. That one's set in the 1930s. And it's just, it's really, really cool to to be able to move through time with these plays. And soon, hopefully, with more films. I mean, I feel like they're really starting to pick up. Well, you saying that Denzel was exact on it makes sense because he says he wants to turn all of these into movies that makes total sense so he's he has been i didn't see he's been recorded saying that i believe mm -hmm, it i totally do he wants to at least make more but i think his goal is to make all 10 and if this is his start on it girl like you said denzel did the stage play along with you know the majority of this cast and Mm -hmm. viola davis has been in other different wilson plays in her career so like they they are very entwined into this and mm-hmm. they are the only two black people i can think of to spearhead this so that's great it's true mm-hmm. i mean and then we'll just do a little throwback really quick from like so fences was the original broadway play was dropped the year we were born i mean mm. whatever no big deal 1987 originally on broadway and the part played by troy is our james earl jones yep uh, and who played I Corey? Wanna, i oh my god Courtney B. Vance, dude. Courtney I died. B. Vance. I, I, I would have that, died like, to see this yes. performance. I know. He would have been amazing. Uh, it would have been so My good. My question is, who was Rose? Rose was Mary Alice. She's the Oracle from The oh. Matrix. Oh. Okay, yeah. She good, too. She good. She good. She is good. I, when I saw her, I was like, damn, the Oracle? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. I know. I know. Uh, it was it was it was a solid uh, solid cast. They won the Tony Awards, obviously. Uh, James Earl Jones won Best Actor, Best Play mm-hmm. uh, during that time. So did Mary Alice. She won Best Actress, the Tony Award, and then the, the most recent Paris Award. The uh, the uh, of course. Pernay- I'm Paris Award. Of course, darling. <laughs> I love it. I feel like we should call it that and be drinking our libation. Oh well, you, I try to. I try to. <laughs> if I'm not too drunk to remember to call it that, since it is the technical term for the Tony. Yes, it's true. <laughs> You're right. A uh, little bit of a fun fact. Mm. Uh, about August Wilson and the play before we move on from our our dear sweet man. Yes. So it's not an autobiographical play. Right. I am going to preface that. It is not. But as true writers do, they pull a little bit from their life. And it is true that Troy is very loosely based on August Wilson's biological father, who we don't really know his name. We just know that he was part German. He was a German baker, Mm. uh, but he did suffer from alcoholism. Mm. And so he was very tormented. He was constantly not around, which kind of led to his mother divorcing him and marrying this other man, which became August's stepfather, which he took Wilson as the surname. So his real name isn't actually even August Wilson, but he renamed himself to become um, his original, his real name is Frederick August Kittle. I was gonna say, what's the German name? Kittle. Kittle. It's Kittle. 
but he changed it because his new his stepfather was more present and more important yeah. in his life and supported and loved his mother, who was one of the most important people in the world to him. The last thing I'll tell you about August Wilson is that he used to go around saying this all the time. It was a quote that his mother used to always say, and he would say it after she long was gone. It was, something is not always better than nothing. Something is not always better than nothing. Okay. And he would say that he would rather have nothing than compromise certain things about himself. And to live was to write and write was to live. Man, I'm just trying to do something to get me out of bed in the morning. I ain't... You got your way of dealing with the world. I got mine. Only thing that matters to me is the music. Yeah, I can see that. Don't matter how you're going to eat. Don't matter where your next dollar coming from. Yeah, you telling the truth there. I know I got to eat, but I got to live too. I need something that's going to help me get out of bed in the morning, make me feel like I belong in the world. I don't bother nobody. I'll just stay with my music because that's the only way I could find a live in the world. Otherwise, ain't no telling what I might do. So, yeah, I can see August yep. feeling that way about, you know, his art. And having, I'd rather have nothing and, you know, script by than have everything mm-hmm. and lose who he is. And to lose something of myself. Yeah. No, yeah. I do know he's one of six kids. <laughs> yep he is he's amazing yeah okay so i want to give you a fun fact <gasps> please give me a fun fact since uh i've checked in my book at the Linney's literary library <laughs> Ooh. so here's the thing you know me and money and translating money yeah like this is set in the 1950s i'm gonna say the early 50s Corey's jacket does say 56 but by their references, it does sound like it's probably 54, which is mm-hmm. the year that I chose uh, to do this. But, okay. So when Corey asks about the TV and he goes, hey, man, it's only $200 for a TV. That <gasps> translated in 2021 money would be like $1,900, like $1,951. So about two grand for a TV that is the screen is probably the size of your laptop screen so, oh my god <laughs> yeah oh uh, my god yeah and that two hundred dollars or you know two grand he could use to fix the hole in the roof also yeah. troy's paycheck is like 73 dollars and some change right thank you i was hoping that you did this one because i was gonna ask you oh yes <laughs> tell me so his paycheck would be about like 712 dollars it seems like he okay. gets that every week though Right? Yeah, that's times four. Yeah, he was he, he got paid every Friday. He gets paid every Friday. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's getting like $700 a week. So, that's not, not bad. bad. Not bad. Not bad for a, sanitize, a sanitation. I mean, no, that's not true because uh, I definitely would feel like they would make more than that now. They make pretty good They should good make money. more than They make that. pretty good money, if I'm not mistaken. I feel like they probably didn't get paid enough money back then, though. But and plus, they're probably getting paid is... more now. He is a uh, black, so you know this says a lot. Yeah, and I love that though that he didn't have a driver's license. Mr. Rand, no, you ain't got no driver's license. Driving ain't nothing. All you do is point the truck where you wanted to go. Driving ain't nothing. And they so they hired him. They didn't say that he driving around in the rich white neighborhoods, unlicensed. Oh like what the fuck? And you know you're always waiting. Like the the pessimist part of me is always like, oh my god, something's gonna happen when he's on the job. Yeah. Not the, it's going to be, but no, never becomes an issue, actually. Yeah, he, he said you just got to point it in the direction you want to yeah. go. That's it. <laughs> and that, that's what he did. I also found out that minimum wage around that time was a 
between 75 cents and a dollar. Oh my God. Which in today's money, I think it's like four something. I would never survived. But I mean, for a quarter, you could have went to the movies, bought all the concessions there and had money to get in a taxi cab and go home. Like, so money, <laughs> my my parents yeah. don't realize that. Like my dad's like, well, I did bought my first house for blah 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 and i go how much did you buy it for what year and i like translated and i was like this is how much it is today like this is what that money is today you have to realize we are not in the same decade and money is not the same way as it was in the 50s the 60s the 70s the 80s the 90s i mean like this movie came out in 2016 and the money is already different exactly by two million (laughs) dollars so like wow yeah also, when Lion asks for ten dollars, ten dollars would be about him asking for like ninety-seven dollars for like. So that's him coming asking for like a hundred bucks. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, he's probably gonna spend it all in one night. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. The, maybe. Yeah. So it's like a hundred dollars. It's like ninety-seven to like a hundred dollars of what a ten dollar would be. So when he goes and says that he bailed, like paid off for. For Gabe to get out of jail, it's like he dropped $500 to, like, get him out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which kind of, I mean, breaking bail. But that's just bullshit because and, cause you know that they're only doing that so they can get money. Yeah. They're bothering Gabe for a reason. It just sucks. So, yeah, that's a little bit of money breakdown for you guys because, you know. I like it. I like to know what real shit is. Like, I would be very upset if I asked my dad for $10 and I had to, like, deal with the bullshit that he had to deal with over fucking $10. Really. That's not going to even give me half a tank of gas or nothing. Like, that's one meal at somewhere fast food. Like, so. Yeah. But if you were coming at him asking for $100. That's that's a totally different thing. And exactly. yes, I would get the bullshit that he would get to. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So I wanted to give you guys that little take before we. I like that little breakdown. I like that little breakdown. Breakdown. Okay. So let's talk about the man of the hour, which we have already talked about previously on the show three times. This is his fourth appearance on the show. We talked about him in Remember the Titans last Black History Month, and we talked about him in He Got Game last March Madness, and Mm -hmm. we talked about him in December in The Preacher's Wife. So here we go with the fourth one, and this is the first one that we've done of him, of him actually directing. Yep. This is his third directorial film. Uh, the first one mm-hmm. is Antoine Fisher, which is a yes. good one. And Ooh, also good one. Great Debaters, which I love. And I was already watching like two days ago. <laughs> I love that movie. I love you. Of course yeah. you are. <laughs> Such a great like. Great... Is it streaming somewhere? Or do you own it? We own it. We should have probably did that one. That's such a great ass movie. Okay. Um, shit. But we'll put it I'll on the list. I'll write it down. Yeah, we'll put it on the list. Put um, it on the list. So yeah. And so this also makes this the second movie that he has directed, Viola Davis. She also was in Antoine Fisher. Mm-hmm. I swear, I just, they just like love working together. That's what I'm saying. I think that he found his match yeah. of talent. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I feel like has always lacked, especially with like a female counterpart for him in movies, is that he is always so much better than his female counterpart. So like, you know, to have someone be able to act on that same balance as you. It's so good. So good. 
And knowing that they did this show like 116 times together on the old Broadway, it just on the old Broadway. It just shows that like even six years later or whatever, they still were like, yes, ah! and they had their, <laughs> their shit together. I saw an interview. This kid was cool. He he was about our age, and he was just talking about like you know, he had seen the play, but he had seen it like clips of it online, and. I mean, I personally have always wanted to see the Denzel and Viola Davis's uh, performance of this. And basically, we get to do see it here. But mm-hmm. I got to see it in Orange County at a small theater. I can't even remember the name of the theater in the early to mid-2000s. Like, it was, you know, a small theater. So it was like 50 plus seats. And, you know, it was a oh. great experience. And I love it. But this kid had never seen it live and was talking about how, like, sometimes I feel like this kid also is, is more of a film person than a theater person. But he was like, you know, this clips that I've seen, you know, people were laughing kind of when you're talking to, to Corey about why don't you like me? And he goes, oh, it's probably like, you know, nervous laughter because it's like uncomfortable, like situation. Mm-hmm. And some people do react that way, which is true. Uh-huh. But he was also talking about the difference between the movie and the play is that because we feel it so differently in the movie, it's mainly because of the close-ups. The theater, everything is spread out. We're playing for the back row. That's what they tell us. You need to play for the back row. I'm not paying for the front row. I'm I'm playing for the back row. Mm -hmm. And in movies, that's not. You lose it. Yeah, you lose it. And it feels weird. And so because he gets to get close do these close-up scenes and make it feel more tension and how close you guys are together and the way that he films it Mm -hmm. adds that tension and you know i agree on how it is different in sorts of ways from the play because of the closeness of the camera you are there you're in their face wow that's cool i like that right it's, I like to, I mean, that. It, it's so interesting to hear his take from going from actor to director. And like, it, it's cool. Well, it's really I mean, cool that he puts so much. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I would just say that like, you know, turning a, a book into a movie is totally different. You have more liberty. You could cut things. You could do things differently. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of how it goes from book to screen. But when Absolutely. it's from play to screen. A play. It's so hard to get the same flow and feeling that you would get if it was on the stage and to translate it something that he's practiced over and over and over and over put the cup up pick the cup down pass it here do that mm-hmm. for you know a hundred and something shows for him to take it and move it on to film seems like it would be difficult like it would be something i'd have to literally sit down and in my head i have to flip the way i'm that i'm going to do this because i can't necessarily do it exactly the same Mm-hmm. As as we would do it, but you can't cut anything because the lyric, the words are so important. Like yeah. when it comes to a play, it's just it's cutthroat. You can't because everything works, Matters. everything yeah. makes sense. There is nothing in there that's a filler, like in a book. Right. And so another thing that he said that I think is you would think is interesting. Also, I got this fun fun fact, Jason. This one's for you. This is for not just Jason, but any actor slash director who is directing and acting in their same stuff the way that he said that he broke down the way that he was filming was that he made sure that the other actors filmed theirs first i can always have a stand-in 
be me or I can always stand there. But I want to make sure that we get their shots so that when it's time mm-hmm. for him to do his, it's going to be easier flow. Because I feel like he obviously understands he has more passion for this than probably anybody on the set. Mm-hmm. And he already has a vision. Plus, Denzel seems like he's like a two-scene person. Like, he does it once and then does it one more just for safety. And yeah, he's for fucking sure. got it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, he knows that he could just, like, hit his. But he wants to make sure that Viola gets her scene or, you know, wh- whoever he's in the scene with is getting their shot done first. So that's exactly. the thing to think about if you wow. are acting slash directing in your own movie. Yeah, make sure that the other actor is filmed first and then work on yours. That then, is so freaking smart. That is so smart. Then you have a better way of giving your exactly. directions to the people that you want, your actors. And, you know, you have a better idea of what, now that I know what they're giving, this is what I need to give to bring this scene up. Mm-hmm. So I, I never really thought about it, but just seeing it like that, the only movies that he's directed or movies that he started, it's kind of mm-hmm. mind boggling because that's just like a double duty, triple duty, like sitting over here. It's a lot. No, it's that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But Denzel can do it and he pulls it off. He totally pulls it off. Pulls and it, it off. again, like, I like that you say that because it always does feel like he doesn't, even though he's usually a lead character. It's not just about him and it's not just about his performance. Like there's other directors that do that where I'm like, it's really just focused on you and no one else looks really that great because you were just focused on you. But Denzel totally makes sure that all the other characters just are wow. Yeah. So yeah, if you ever make your own movie, think about that. That's good. I like that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Denzi. Like, can I do a little fun fact for Denzel? Give me some Denzel. Give me some Little Denzel, Denzel. Denzel. <laughs> so Scott Rubin, who is a producer and who's kind of the main guy switching from the play to the screenplay. Mm-hmm. He was largely involved with the Broadway when they did a revival for Broadway. So when he reached out to Denzel and he's like, oh, so I have moved the script from play to screenplay. Denzel grabbed the script from him and he's like, oh, yeah, I'll read it, I'll read it. And he's reading it and he's just like, you know, honestly, I might be too old still to like do this part or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then he realized that he was already 55 when he was going to play it when he, and the character was 53. Pfft, too old. I know. He's like, I got it. So he was quoted. He's like, I got to do the play before I'm too old to do this part. That, yes, because you have to make the fight scene between him and Corey seem real. And if this fool mm-hmm. is like super old, then exactly. It's not going to feel as real. Yeah. Right. He's equalizing him, man. You can't just come up to the equalizer and think that you're going to be able to just hoardy torty. I mean, I understand Corey's upset and the way that he talks to him, which I probably would have too. Cause I'm a slick mouth bitch. Like, you know, especially when I'm pissed, don't even get me started. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, you, it had to be realistic as in somebody was, this guy's broke. He he got $6 a fucking week and he's got a side chick. Like, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, exactly. he, he can't be too old because he's not rich Mm-mm. for him to no. you know have some other chick. Plus, he's got to be young enough to beat up his son. Yeah, he's 53. In the start of the play, Troy is 53. I want to say... It's seven years, right? Yeah, it's it expands over a seven year time. 
Yeah. Then it jumps cuts to him being out of the Marines after six years. Yeah. Ugh, Corey. Yeah. So he got robbed of his education. Stupid Troy. <laughs> okay. So you know how people say, if, if I've never seen it done, I don't think that I could do it. I'm I'm not saying me necessarily, but no, 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 no. Yeah, you're speaking in general. Yeah, especially black people, and especially in the past, it's hard to imagine. Like Troy, if he was real, and I told him that we had had a black president for eight years, I don't think he would believe me because there's mm-hmm. no way that he's seen anything close to that in his lifetime. Yeah. So I think that Troy is a lot like that because he feels like I should have been able to play. And it doesn't matter if Jackie Robinson, he's not that great and blah, 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 blah. It's because he had never seen it done. He never saw athletes be able to be fucking millionaires and legends and actually Mm -hmm. make a life and career out of it that he didn't think it was possible. The best that a black man could do in his eyes is work a trade job and get married and have, you know, a house and maybe some kids. Like that Mm -hmm. is the best because that's all he's ever seen that is could be possible and Corey comes from another generation of i'm just gonna make my own way i see that the door is cracked and i can push my way in there you know however Mm -hmm. i can and that's definitely that's definitely what he tries to do and yeah troy stops him as much as he can and that's the sad part about well it's true you're you're you are correct and and it's it's hard to see it that way too. And one of my favorite things that Troy and it's so relatable is when it happened. You were too soon. Times have changed, Troy. You just come along too early. There ought not never have been no time called too early. I shouldn't have been it too soon. There should have never have been, been it too soon. soon. If I could play, let them play. Yes, and yeah. I, I totally agree. And I see I where he's coming from. I, I know, and it hurts because. Yes, in 2021, we can look at that and be like, if you can play, no matter where you are from in the world, Mm -hmm. you can play. But going from him being, I also feel that he could have been, I think he feels like he could have been Jackie Robinson, but he he done fucked up because he started robbing and stuff and went away for 15 years and lost his youth, you know? Yeah. The time that he could have been playing baseball and actually doing something and making money. That's exactly. He missed out that's, on it because he was in jail. But that's the big, that's the one of the biggest reveals because exactly what you've just, what you've just told us. And, but he, if he had never gone to jail though, he would never have learned the game of baseball. And he says that. So it's kind of like a bittersweet type of situation, you know, like. One, I mean, he probably would have learned baseball and realized he would have had a great talent for it outside of the prison, obviously. And, but you never know. Yeah. But what I really super love, you can tell that August has such a passion for this character, Troy. Like, he puts so much, so much attention and so much love into this character, like he does with all of his characters. But what I really, really dig is that when you're reading the script of, of Fences, and he does this very specifically for Troy is that there's like a little it's the part in the it's the play 
before you get to the action sequence, they give you like a little blurb on what's going to happen in the play. And he took so much detail to, to give you a huge cultural context of what is happening. Like, because this is Troy is a man, he's a migrant that's coming up during that time in history of finding, uh, leaving the South, finding new work, finding himself and like building something for yourself. And that's something that you have to recognize and relate with when you're realizing how hard and how distant and the fences that he builds up for himself around his own family. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to, you have to empathize. You have to understand and try to understand. I mean, not to what he has to deal with and come from. Cause it is hard. Like we're lucky. My parents tell me every single day how much they love me. And I know that your parents do the same for you, but there are families out there that have never heard their father tell him that they love you. And And I think that's why like, I cry so hard during him and Corey's scene because I I can't imagine my dad saying anything like that. Like I'm getting teary just thinking about it. Like I can't imagine my dad and I, I feel so blessed and I'm so sorry if you uh, as a listener don't have that connection with, you know, any of your parents or anything like that. But like, then you know that not having that is Mm -hmm. so hard to deal with. Like Troy had to deal with having a dad that was similar to him, man, Mm -hmm. who nobody fucking really likes. Like he's mean and he drinks too much and he doesn't say he loves and he, you know, rather whoop your ass and steal your girl kind of dude. He reminds me a lot, I guess, of my great grandfather, not in the sense of like, you know, raping a child or anything like that, but like in the sense of being a migrant farmer and you know having 13 kids to work on the fucking farm yeah how he wasn't very loving and he didn't show affection to my grandfather and my grandfather was like i think he's in like the top three or four of the 13 so like you know he left home when you know some were still babies and yeah he was like when he left he was like i'm leaving i'm never coming back and i'm not even coming to your funeral and like bounced and when my great-grandfather died he didn't come back to his funeral like he was like fuck this shit you know you were a shitty ass dad why should i even come all the way out to come see like you know so i understand i can see you can you've seen it you've been you've been i mean not seen it seen it but like (laughs) the effects (laughs) of it (laughs) yes you know know the effects you've heard the story yeah and i feel like my grandfather probably tried to be a better emotional loving father than his father but he wasn't like he also was one who never went to my dad's track meets and you know just things like that so he he didn't necessarily do all of the things but by the time it came to my dad my dad showed up to every track meet play whatever the fuck we were doing basketball gymnastics dance Mm -hmm. shows all of the shit. He showed up to all of it. Even if he didn't want to be there, it was falling asleep. He still was there and clapped at the end. It was like, you did good. And, you know, just, exactly. And then just seeing how like my brother is with his children. He's e- mm-hmm. even more hands on and loving father. Exactly. Then, I mean, my dad is a loving father, but he, you know, he, he's more, no, he's course. a different type of father because of the love that he got from my and He just, got from your father. And that's yeah, just showing exactly. you generations of generations of generations. Mm-hmm of men in general not necessarily black men but like we kind of talked about this last week about you know we did actually yeah the the father figure becoming more involved in the parenting and the 
the role that they're required to play in a family. Yeah. It's totally being, I love it. I love how it's being totally re revamped, revitalized. Yeah. Because the nature that Troy has, like when he says, you got my food in your belly, you're laying on my bed. I put a roof over your house. You know, mm-hmm. that's all I, that's my obligation. That's all I need to do. That's it. Like he came from that to, you know, having, you know, my brother is like, he stays and watches my nieces do dance class. And he'd be like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's like totally like exactly. in it to win it. Like, so like, mm-hmm. I get it. I'm glad that it's changing, but I always feel like old generations of fathers are just so hard. Yeah. And not as loving as as they should be. It's true. It's just really beautiful to see what happens to families, what real families have to go through in order to get to the other end and to see how much love can blossom from so much hurt. And it's really, what's amazing is that Troy for better or for worse was part of Rose and Rose vice versa. Like she's like, I gave him all of me and that was my fault. The line where she says, I put all of my hopes and dreams in you. I took all my feelings, my wants and needs and dreams and I buried them inside you. I planted a seed and watched and prayed over. I planted myself inside you and waited to bloom. It didn't take me no 18 years to realize the soil was hard and rocky and it wasn't never gonna bloom. I still was there. Like, ugh. That oh that line, you're just like, oh my God. She I knew know. you ain't shit and she still was there. She knew and you she weren't ever gonna there. do nothing more than what you just done. And she was still there. <laughs> and she was still there. And, but it made her become this incredibly accepting and loving. I mean, she took in a babe that wasn't even her own. It's actually one of my favorite lines <laughs> is when she takes the baby and she's like, this this baby will no longer be motherless. Right now, this child's got a mother. But you are a womanless man. You are a womanless man. I love that oh, fucking lie. I know. And then I she just walks it. away and he looks at her like, what? Bitch, what? <laughs> what the uh, fuck? <laughs> Yeah, I, that's one of my favorite mm-hmm. lines of the whole thing. This this oh, baby is no longer motherless, but you are a womanless man. Womanless man. It was so good. Gotcha, bitch. So I know. But then she takes it, and then she says, you know, she was my ray of hope. She was that little spark that really rejuvenated her and made her feel more alive. All those babies she always wanted and never could have. Like, Plus, she got a girl. You know, she has two I boys. Know. Now she got a girl. Like, she happy. Exactly. I didn't want any halves in my house, but she had a beautiful home. Yeah. And And she made it beautiful. She did. And like, you know, Rose is such a sweet person. Like she takes over like Lion, like he's her own. You hungry? Give Uh the boy some money. Like, you know, like how a mom should be. And like, you know, that's what a good mom's (laughs) supposed to do is to tell the daddy to let go of that money. Mm -hmm. Hand it over. And you... And you love Troy's face when he knows he's handing her the money. She's about to take it all out and just give it to mm-hmm. Lion. And he just, he's looking at her though. He's like, mm-hmm. I was kind of sad about how Lion's, how he, how his story turned. King of the jungle. I know. His King story. of the jungle. Rawr. Yeah. His... And he's scared. I love when he like scares like, Gabe oh. just a little bit. And he's like, oh. You're Troy's boy. <laughs> I know. He just makes Gabriel makes everything okay. Yeah, Denzel is amazing. I love yeah. him. Mm-hmm. We obviously gonna do some more movies of him. Oh yeah, this isn't never gonna be last. Never. All right. Yeah. Give me a little fun fact before we move on to Miss uh, 
Miss Davis. Ooh. Okay. Fun fact! There it is. There she is. <laughs> okay, so Paramount originally bought the film rights in 1987. Okay. So as soon as it fucking dropped and it probably won a Tony and stuff, they were like, oh shit, we should swoop this shit up. So they wow. swooped it up because... Paramount was working a lot with Eddie Murphy and Eddie Murphy really wanted to change his career around that time of being like very comedy to doing some serious shit more of like the Eddie Murphy that we see today it took a long time for him to get to that so they bought the rights for him to play Corey but Eddie Murphy was like 20 years older so like he like he was in his 20s so like Corey's supposed to be 17 and Eddie Murphy was like 27 so mm, it, it just didn't, been hard. It didn't been a work. Stretch. Yeah, it, it would have been a stretch. Plus, the longer and longer it took for them to do it, the older and older the motherfucking got. And so yep. eventually they were just like, this is ridiculous. We can't hold this for you. And um, yeah, so that's why we never had a Fences with Eddie Murphy, which Whoa. I don't know how I feel because Eddie Murphy is an amazing talent. He's been on the show a kajillion times. But yeah. in 87... I don't think that he was a good enough actor or in the right place to play in a character like Corey. Yeah. No, you're right. I don't, I couldn't, I'm like, wow, I can't believe that he, wow, though. I feel like it took Eddie Murphy 20 kids to, you know, get to a place where his serious acting is, it feels mm-hmm. real. And that's been in the past five to 10 years. He's been wow. more of on the series, you know, around Dreamgirls time where he really like Jimmy Early, man. That was oh, a deep character to be fucking That was a deep in. character for Eddie Murphy for sure. Yeah, so. That was good. Ooh, I like that one. Well, right. fun fact. Damn, mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. 27-year-old Eddie Murphy could have been oh. rolling over there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's not a doubt in my mind that he could do it, but... You're right. It probably was just not the, it wouldn't have worked for his career at that moment. Let's move on to the lady of our hearts and my desires, basically. Queen. The one and she is a queen, Miss Beautiful Viola Davis. Viola Davis. My, my, my Leo sister. Maybe that's why I like her. Yeah, she's a she's on fire. She is so freaking cool. She's a Rhode Islander. Oh, is she now? She went to Rhode Islander two months after she was born. She's a Rhode Islander. <laughs> okay. Dude, I love Rhode Island. So we're talking Academy Award winner. Yeah. Tony Award winner. Oh, and Antoinette Perry Award for excellence in the Broadway theater <laughs> winner. Um... She has been, she's achieved the triple crown of acting. She is Hall of Famer. I mean, she's just everything to me. I love her so much. She won Best Supporting Actress for this film in 2016. A Golden Globe nomination, but she didn't, did she win? I think she did actually win the Golden Globe. Yeah. She won the Golden Globe as well as the Academy Award for this. I believe so. I mean, what is your favorite Viola Davis work? Like, what would you say is your favorite? I love her in Doubt, even though she has a very small part. And I think think that she, she's just amazing in it. But probably The Help. I love The Help. It's funny. White lady eats shit pie. Like, 
there's nothing not to love about it. But she's like, <laughs> she showed up in so many things. This is probably like my hands down, like absolute favorite. Unless you, are we talking about TV or we're just talking about movies? I was going to say TV because TV, my favorite is How to Get Away with Murder. Yes, definitely. I'm not going to lie. That's probably my favorite thing, like hands down. She is Annalise Keating for me. That show itself is beautiful in every single retrospect. But if it wasn't that, it would be this movie. But the, her as Rose and Fences is just unbelievable. Yeah, she killed it. But Annalise Keating all the way. I'm obsessed. <laughs> well, she started acting in front of the camera mm-hmm. in like the 90s, like 96 time. Some yeah. things that you might recognize. I think the first thing I kind of remember, I mean, it wasn't a big scene, but like in traffic. She's in traffic. She plays mm-hmm. a social worker. Antoine Fisher is probably the very first time I remember her. She plays the mom. Yep. She was the grandma and get rich or die trying. The 50 cent fucking movie. <laughs> oh my God, that's right. She's just like, you know, over time she popped up in a bunch of stuff that we mm-hmm. back then didn't realize that we were looking at a goddess. The World Trade Center movie. She was in that. Disturbia, which I love. She oh was my God, I loved her in Disturbia. Yep. She was in Far From Heaven. Far From Heaven. She, mm-hmm. uh, Medea goes to jail, but like, doubt. Oh my God. I feel like doubt is when she hit everybody's radar and we actually got to, yes. like, not that Antoine Fisher, Antoine Fisher is a movie for everybody, but I feel like obviously black people are going to go see it. And, of um, course. so we got to see her, you know, chops in that movie as well. But doubt mm-hmm. is when I feel like doubt was set her on the whole that put her on like a whole spectrum. I mean, if you can hold your fucking own next to Queen Meryl Streep, like girl, mm-hmm. hello. So I know. You know, I think that's when everybody sat up and was like, "Okay, okay, okay." <laughs> Which we should also Show do. Up. Yeah, I think we should also do that. That's a play as well. Um, that is a play as well. Maybe we should have play month. And then I see that, you know, she's, like, popping up into, like, what is this? Law-abiding citizen with Jamie Foxx. She plays the mayor. She plays bad bitches. I love it. She really does. I love her in The Widows. I love her in The Widows. By the time Help came out, you know, she was more of a well-known person and also got Oscar novel on that one as well, along with Mm -hmm. Doubt. She also was in uh, Get On Up with Chaz McBillman. Oh, I know. James Brown movie. So that was their first film they did together, right? And then that's the, yeah, that's their first movie together. I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, she also got to play alongside my favorite boo boo in the world, Will Smith and Suicide Squad. Hell yeah, which came out the same year as Fences. Ah, uh, Suicide Squad. That was the last movie I saw in Los Angeles before I left. Oh, and now she's in. Did she get nominated for? Yeah, she was nominated uh, for a Golden Globe for her portrayal in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which we didn't really uh, talk about it or discuss it. But like that was one of her first things, like her first performances was on the stage in 1992. She did her first Broadway production in a William Shakespeare comedy, As You Like It. But Mm -hmm. then right after she did in 1996... Uh, August Williams Seven Guitars she was Vera yep and that was her Broadway debut right there so like I love how important it is to her like I love obviously these plays like she has a deep connection to it automatically being a black woman in America but she 
made it her life's work to like be a part of it like be on stage like she didn't just jump into film she wanted to do theater she wanted to be a part of this man's universe and world so i'm sure she had many conversations with him i know that's like the like i heard them speaking about him and oh, like, i know it Denzel is so, especially oh. it is just so amazing that you got to like have these deep conversations with like an amazing playwright like a poet like I, a man who's won more awards than we could have possibly even imagined some of the biggest awards in the world like i know <laughs> i don't even know it's just amazing so he's just such a he's so brilliant yes so yeah maybe <sighs> next black history month we'll get to do that one that would be really cool that would be a good one add it to the list yep <laughs> yep so um there's one thing that I feel really weird about all of this is that like Viola Davis when it came up to like award season she was heavily campaigned as a supporting actor which mm. makes very little sense to me being that she is the only female <laughs> in this entire movie the only person that's on screen more than her is Denzel mm-hmm. so how are you still considered a supporting actor the only reason mm-hmm. why i would think this is because it would have been easier for her to win that than best actress because denzel also believes that like i don't think that she was a, she should be nominated for best supporting actress she should be mm-hmm. nominated for best actress i yeah. did not do the research to see who was nominated or won best actress that year if it was like something crazy where it was like Meryl Streep against Meryl Streep and Meryl Streep. Yeah. And they're like, we have a better chance of getting Best Supporting. Um, Yeah. Which to me feels like you're devaluing Black women. (laughs) Exactly. Well, especially because you win the Tony Award for Best Leading Actress in a play Mm -hmm. for this same character. And then you're you're put as a supporting actress for an Academy Award for this same... Like, I'm just not going to... What she won. And she deserves more than what she won but she does deserve yes. what she won like she did she you know did who did win though who did meryl streep florence foster jenkins natalie portman jackie ruth nega and loving isabel hubert and l and emma stone and la la land oh it's la la land year which i got so many problems with la la land like honestly Ryan Gosling's character should have been black. <laughs> You've said that to me, and you did ruin the movie for me. I was like, you know what? You're right. And I was already halfway out the door of that movie anyway, but you were definitely right. And he should I'm have sorry. been black. It should have been a black man. And it kills me that it's not. And I don't care because I do love Ryan Gosling, and he does a great job at that character. But, like, I can't watch that movie at all like I, I just really can't the music you know great. Got to do the jazz man like <laughs> like why i just i know it's I just know. really it's really hard the roots of anyway. jazz is is so heavily rooted in black culture that it's not even funny it's entwined in us and you we already talked about it wilson's work and how everything is very jazzy and musical so i, know. I mean it's ingrained in us and so yeah ryan's gosley's paisley Ryan ass can't just but like, and then this is just fucked up too. Cause like, but this is during that time when La La Land 
was accidentally getting called as best picture when it was supposed to be Moonlight. And this is what really hurts is that Viola Davis then, she chose to put herself as a supporting actress so she could win as Fences. But Naomi Harris was Paula in Moonlight and she was nominated for a supporting actress as well. And she did an amazing job. Yeah. So like you're, you're pinning those two women together. It's just, this is... Okay, so who was so... nominated for best supporting actress? Who she beat? So there was Nicole Kimmon in Lion. Octavia Spencer in Hidden Figures, Michelle Williams in Manchester by the Sea, Naomi Harris in Moonlight, and then Viola Davis in Fences. So they stuck three of us up in there? I can't believe it. <laughs> and Especially because Octavia Spencer, too, I didn't think was just as... She also wasn't just a supporting actress in Hidden Figures, but Octavia Spencer is brilliant. I <sighs> fucking love her. I watched Self Made again. Mm. I love self-made so girl. I uh, love that movie. I love that movie. Well, show short mini series. I don't... <laughs> limited a, series is what they call limited, them now. <laughs> limited. It's a limited series. Yeah, great. Well, but I mean, yeah, that year sound pretty fucking... fucked up. <laughs> this was a weird Academy Award season. Definitely, yeah, this was terrible. She dropped herself down so that she could have a chance to win, which. The names that you named on the female. Wait, what was Meryl in that one? That year? Uh, Florence Foster Jenkins. It's the one where she's trying to learn how to sing and she can't. See, she could have beat her in that. Yeah. You definitely could have like beat the, her in that. And that was the movie that you would beat Meryl Streep. You're but way I guess... better than La La Land, too. Emma I mean, Stone? Yeah, like, Emma Stone didn't oh. do good enough to get nominated. I mean, no. I, this is just all of our opinion. And you know, hopefully she becomes the like Black Meryl where she's nominated a bunch of times, she wins a bunch of times, and she loses a bunch of times. Like, that sounds way what I want to hear. Yeah. Okay. All right. I agree. So, can I give you fun facts? Let me hear that fun fact. Okay. So, Bella's Market. A lot of folks still shop at Bella's. Ain't nothing wrong with shopping at Bella's. She got fresh food. I ain't said nothing about if she got fresh food. I'm talking about what she charged. When he talks about it, she goes, and some people still go to Bella's Market, even though she marks up the price. And he's, she gives me the bread, and I get to pay her next week. Well, mm -hmm. Bella's Market is, or was, I don't know if it still is, a real market. Stop it. In Pittsburgh. And not only is that, but it was the market that he lived next to when he was growing up. So. Uh -huh. Wilson threw that in there into the writing with some real stuff. Hopefully, Bella wasn't really overcharging people, <laughs> but uh, you never know. Like sometimes she had to raise her prices. You know, you can't hate somebody for that. You, you can't hate somebody for that. Down at the A and P, huh? Can't mm -hmm. go down to the A and P. Okay, so I love that. Yeah, so that's a little bit of real fun facts there. Okay, so who do you want to talk about next? Like so, Stephen McKinley Henderson, who plays our man. Jim Bono. He's one of my favorite parts of this play. He is such a like, good good friend. <laughs> there's so many really great lines. One of my favorite lines though is, well hell, I am if you ever turn the bottle loose. Well hell, I am if you ever turn the bottle loose. <laughs> yeah, give me that damn you sitting over <laughs> here babysitting. Exactly. I, how many times have you and I had to have that conversation? Like, uh, okay, pass it over. Pass, pass over please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yes, but um, it's something he, that we won't be able to do for a long time because we're not allowed to share drinks or anything. <laughs> no, we'll just have to have our own straws and our own liquor bottles. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he is a man after my own heart. He was really big in the theater. That's 
what he started in. That's what he dived into. He is incredible. He has this aura about him that if I were to say anything, it's he's not very believable to be just like a rugged, like work and sanitation guy because he has such an aura about him that makes me feel like he's very prestigious. Well, he would have been black in the 50s, so there was mm-hmm. no such thing as that. And there was no such thing as, you know, you hoarding a corporate job or being a millionaire and stuff like that. So, you know, a trash man, they make good money, you guys. Don't be they make good sleeping money. on that shit. So, no, you know. no, no, yeah, it's true. But yeah, it's true. you know, the finest of us have to do some dirty jobs to get by. It's but- true. But he's a Juilliard-educated uh, actor uh, for theater. Could totally he was tell. In, like, group. Yeah, he, he has. He's so amazing. He was from the original revival of this cast. He is an Obie Award winner. He's a Drama Desk Award winner. Mm-hmm. Like he uh, is decorated. Yes, he's done quite a few Austin Wilson's plays, and honestly, what's really really fucking cool is he. He was the one person that I found in most of the videos I watched of interviews that were able to recount so many private, personal uh, stories, memories, and admirations of August Wilson. It was really, really cool to hear him shoot the shit about his life with him and how they worked so well together. And well, how, yeah, he was in like two or three of his shows. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like original performance. Original, yeah. Just, yeah, like got to learn from the writer himself. It makes sense why Denzel would definitely just recast him because yeah. he does that role really good. I don't feel like that character ever really stood out to me as much until I saw him perform it. Portray him. Yeah. I totally see that. He brings so much to the character. I'm yeah. telling you, like, he just has so much of the character. The walking blues. Ain't you never heard of nobody having the walking blues? You never heard about the walking blues? No, exactly. You mean running away from your responsibility and your fucking family and job and shit? Is that what you mean? A deadbeat dad? <laughs> yeah, the walking blues. <laughs> I love it. I love him so much. Yeah, he did a great job. Um, and I guess he's he's done a, like a lot of walk-ons for like Law and Order and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and... definitely. And he's supposed to be in the new Dune. I can't wait to see that one. Ooh, I know. But yeah, when the world opens back up and we can go back to the theater, I'm sure that he will be on stage somewhere for us to marvel at him. Bono was the shit. I loved him. He called Troy on his stuff. And he Always could, called him. He could see what he was Troy was doing, and he kept trying to tell him like, "Hey, man, knock that shit off." And exactly. I, I love how like he was such a good guy that even though like his, you know, Troy's sons don't really you know have a great love for him, or mm-hmm. you know he didn't show him so much love. They care for Bono like they treat him like super dope. Hey, what's up, man? Hey. Nice to see you because, you know, they do. He's they've probably known him, you know, especially Corey his whole life. And it's his dad's oldest friend and he's nice. He don't do nothing wrong. And he know. and Mm-mm. when he'd be like, I know he does know because he shows up. He's there all the time when shit be popping off. You're yelling mm-hmm. at your son for asking for money. You calling down to the school and telling your son he it's the coach that your son's not playing football anymore and as soon as he's like trying to like all right i gotta go see the wife i love that he always tries to sneak off he's always trying to be like oh i feel like shit's about to get real and he never gets away in time 
No. He never gets away at time. And or he pulls him back in with the bottle. He's like, hey, man, we didn't finish this bottle yet. You know, I don't know you to turn away from some bottle, which is true. I won't turn away from a bottle unless it's hell tequila. No. I'll be like, well, sorry, I ma'am. Am. No. You never turn the bottle loose. Yes. So he did a great job. He um, did a really good job. I love that character. So are you ready to talk about the star of the film? <laughs> you always do this to me and then i'm always like is it the fucking fence are you gonna want to <laughs> so the fence was made out of oak no i'm just joking, knew it. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> okay well who is the real main star of this film well if you want to see the house that was featured in this movie you can Stop it. You didn't call it. You can go to 809 Anaheim Street in the Hills District of Pittsburgh. And that tiny little I... house was three bedrooms, one bath. I think it's for sale, but I can't really tell if it is or not or not. Whoa. Um, but it's a small little house. I Google Earthed it. It looks cute. I don't know. I've never really, you know, I'm a West Coast person. So like brick houses, like all that shit is just so foreign to I know like, that's not earthquake safe. I can't live in a brick house, like <laughs> you know. <laughs> and most of those are like railway style homes that they're just so close to each other. You got like maybe a, yeah. a a foot because they all have little alleyways that you'd have to go. And they do. They have these like tiny little brick homes that have like cute little backyards. But then backyards have even like a tiny middle lane and then everyone's backyard is all connected. So you, so you all walk. know people's shit. Like everyone sees everybody's stuff going on. So I don't, it's, I don't know. I don't know if I could like that. I'm sorry. I'm a West Coaster. It's a totally different type of living style and yeah. community though. I love little houses like that. Maybe it, it to be wasn't so much for fun. sale because I couldn't find any inside pictures because I did look. Is Denzel's fence still there? Because I need that. They did film I need to know- there. I don't think they filmed in the inside, but they definitely <laughs> filmed the porch. I don't feel like they did the backyard either, but they could have. <laughs> I don't know. But if you happen to be in the Pittsburgh area and wants to see the house that Denzel picked for his movie, it's on Anaheim Street in the cool. Hill District. I like it. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about Corey. Okay, great. Real quick. Jovan Adepo. I'm glad you said it because I didn't know what it was. Dude, this kid is so adorable. So fine. I mean, yes, we're looking at him and he looks like a little kid, but I feel like, you know, they clean shaved him and stuff and once he got like his man beard ugh, he well, could get it <laughs> he's totally our age i know but i mean like they younged him down he was still in his like so he was in his late 20s playing Corey as well so like eddie murphy yeah. could have did it but i don't think eddie murphy had that baby face he got that baby face for this he's one. got that baby face like but what i'm and also is, once he puts that beard on though he could mm-hmm. get it <laughs> He could, and he would, and he is cute. He's cute. Yeah. I liked him as Hidden Justice and Watchmen. I thought you were going to say that. He does a good job. I love Watchmen. I'm sad that they didn't renew it. Um, but he's in the new stand, the stand. Really? Yeah. He plays Larry Underwood. Have I you have... watched any of it yet? I haven't watched any of it yet. I haven't because I can't figure out where to watch it. <laughs> uh. I definitely plan on watching it because I want to see Whoopi with her gray locks and being the oldest ass woman in the world plus you know i read the book 
I have the book, and you know, I've seen the old '90s movie. It was. A, it definitely was the '90s or '80s. But I've seen the old ass Stan movie, and so I was kind of interested to see what this one's gonna be. Ooh, he was in Jack Ryan. Oh, when they see us. Yeah, he's in. He's in a lot of uh, television. So. I don't really have any fun facts on him. We'll definitely see him in the future. Yeah. Uh, All I, right. I got a fun fact for you. <gasps> Give me a fun fact. It's my last one. <clears throat> okay. So Spike Lee did uncredited treatment to the screenplay. And so did Denzel. So the people who did this moderate changes from stage to screen was... Denzel's, I feel like, mentor or buddy. I don't know. They work together so many, so often that it's just like, or donk. But to have Spike Lee help translate it onto screen is brilliant. Like, I could not have asked anybody else to do it. And Denzel, uh, he did it also himself in the scenes, you know, thinking about it. And all the way up until pretty much almost them filming did he tinker with the script. Like I said, the script is very much like what you would read if you read the script, the play, but uh, just certain things were changed and flows and stuff. And we have those. Just two- to get the right flow. Yeah. I love that though. I didn't know that they had, I mean, he's unaccredited, so I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. I mean, who else would you ask except another exactly. great ass black screenwriter to help fix a great ass black play? <laughs> exactly. So um, let's. Bust it up with uh, who's next? Well, we have Michael T. Is that how you say it? Michael T. Williamson. Oh, which you guys already talked about. Uh, we did already talk about him. Uh, we touched bait. You guys talked about him in Forrest Gump for sure. For show. Sure, I love him in Con Air. He's also in Ali. Yeah, he plays Don King. So we definitely talked about him in that one as well. So he, mm-hmm. he has been on here at least twice. But he but, is a great character actor. Oh. God. Oh, yeah, he, he's in he, Heat. Oh, I forgot you were in Heat, girl. Yeah. Free Willy. Yeah. Final Destination. Mm-hmm. So he pops up. I mean, and he pops up on a bunch of sh- shows like Designated Survivor and oh, Chicago yeah. PD. He did Insecure. So, like, he stays working yeah well he's an incredible actor he's an absolutely incredible actor and in this character specifically you can just see his range he's he's incredible but we're gonna see him so much more for sure uh this won't be the last time we talk about him i feel like we're going to have a reason to talk about him next week so we can go ahead and pass on him yep (laughs) he has one of my favorite lines in next week's movie (laughs) (laughs) No, so that's why I'm just like we don't have to really go too deep deep into him because we're gonna talk about him. I'm sure pretty soon. <laughs> and then the only we have two other actors: Russell Hornsby. Hornsby. Russell, yes, Hornsby. He's been in the game for a minute. We've seen him around. Mm-hmm. He graduated from the College of Fine Arts at Boston University with mm-hmm. a BFA in theater. And he is from San Francisco, so he is a West Coast boy. West Coast. The way I like him. And, uh, <laughs> like, you've seen him, like, his voice, he does sound like a musician. 
<laughs> like he, he does. sounds he like really he does. definitely can sing. I don't know if he can or not, but that's mm-hmm. what he sounds like. I recently, I think the last thing I saw him in was The Hate You Give. Yes. So go watch that movie. He's amazing in it. He's every. He's he's good. He's a good dude. He just pops up. He was in Girlfriends. Remember? He was. Girlfriends. <laughs> Every fine black man um, in the early 2000s was in Girlfriends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he popped up in Shameless. This one's for Emily. He was in The Good Wife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So once he, the first time that he was debuted on the stage, he was at St. Mary's College slash high school in Berkeley, California in 1992. So, you know, he, he started off on this stage. Sweet California boy. You could totally tell that he has had some good training. Yeah. His outcome of yeah. his life, Lion's life, is very sad. And, you know, he kind of fell in the same path as his dad kind of fell, where, like, he couldn't make no more money, so he's got to, like, rob. Not necessarily yeah. rob somebody, but cashing people's checks and taking their money. Yeah. I mean, so he, he didn't have that role model, that love, that support that he needed for him Mm-mm. to thrive. And that, that's what really makes me sad about the way that Troy raised his, his men. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard because you get to see the perfect contrast between the two boys. You've got Lions and then he cu- he pits up against Corey and you see Corey gets out of it. He's like, no, I, I'm running as far as in the opposite direction as I can from my father because I know that I don't want to be like that. And what's really cool is that he really gets to see and understand and go through that with the father. And I like the metaphorical move of like him cutting through the wood that is super strong that Bo- Bono's yeah. like, Oh my God, look at this. Like yeah. that's some really thick, strong wood. And this is a metaphor for the fence, the wood that's key- that Troy is putting up against his own sons. And here's Corey cutting through it being like, I know this man runs in the other direction, but then lions get stuck and he gets, he follows in like the same kind of loop because he gets, and then at the end he's doing the baseball metaphors just like his father did. Yes. And you're like, here he is. He pull, He he goes right. He he is his father's son for sure. I feel like the best thing that Troy did for Corey was kicking him out of the house. Yeah. I mean, the best thing that Troy could have done for him is sign the fucking paper so he could go to college. That could have been the best thing he could have ever done. That could have been the best. But other than that, the best thing he did was kick him out because it immediately mm-hmm. made him become a man and it made him fight so hard to be the complete opposite of what his dad was. Even though his same mannerisms and the way that he thinks and feels is a lot like his dad's because even Rose is like, Troy is in you. you. There's nothing you can do. I'm looking at a younger him when you're talking. And it pisses him off, which I totally understand because I hate being told that I'm someone that I'm trying not to be mm-hmm. that that would that would upset me too but he he had to leave and I feel like he didn't ever want to come back but he came back because of his mom and the only reason he went to Troy's funeral was because of his sister like he did everything yeah. not necessarily for his dad but for everybody else in his life but I just wish he Rose for sure I mean yeah. he loves his mother and to see like lions just be another him it just mm-hmm. sucks yeah i do want to talk about one more thing before we move on of course so with troy buying taking the money 
from Gabe to buy the house. And it just kind of eats him up inside. I guess, I don't know. We don't really know what their relationship was like prior to him going off to war. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they were like kind of close, even though he says he's the only person that he still talks to in his family after he left. So they, yeah. they did have some sort of connection. Me and my brother are very close. And obviously I'm not, I don't have children or a spouse like he does. I'm single mm-hmm. like what Gabe was. And if something mm-hmm. happens to happen to me, I would want you to take my money and buy your family and us a house and make sure that I'm set up good. Like that would be part of the deal to me. Like that would not make me feel bad. And if it was mm-hmm. like the tables were reversed, I would feel like, okay, I need to buy us a house. I need to do us this. And it's us. This is my house because obviously I'm running it and I'm still paying stuff off and doing all the stuff. Cause he's not yeah. like he just took the money and sat in the house and, collected welfare or did something stupid like he still worked he made decent money and mm-hmm. he just needed that money to buy the house like honestly that rose gives him that validation when she says like he needs to have someone take care of him you were helping him out a lot in the beginning of it and now he's just wanting to get out and do his independence but he's made he made him stronger for it so i totally agree i think it's it's the complexity of him as a black man not making it on his own and having to use his brother as the leg up to get him somewhere, I think really hits him kind of hard. If it wasn't for like my brother taking a bullet in the head or whatever, getting a metal for this country that doesn't even care about him and wouldn't even like take care of him otherwise. Mm -hmm. And he's not even on a monthly allowance, right? They just gave him a bailout of $3,000 and said, see you later. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Do you I'm think to... that he really did sign? Did he sign the papers and send his brother? Or is he just because he can't read, he just signed papers and thought? Because he does take um, half the money and takes the other half and puts them in a home. I know, he does it again. Mm-hmm. And he's going to have to live with that. You have to live with you that. You got to live with that. No, nah, I think he knew what he was doing. I think he did too. And that's just pretty fucked up. He couldn't keep on taking care of him, though, in the state that he was in. Constantly bailing his brother out of jail. But, I mean, hospitals back then were, like, the worst, though. I know, dude. I would never do that to you, I swear. I would never let that happen to you. Yeah, I mean, back then they were, like, doing lobotomies and shit. But then, like, that would have been Rose's full-time job. That, taking care of him and the baby. The baby that was about to come Mm -hmm. into their lives. Okay, so three Um, grand would be, like, $29,000 today. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. He would have definitely been able to buy the house and still set his brother up with something. All right. All right. Well, whew. are you ready? Uh-huh. For Z for the people. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, oh, this is going to be good. Okay. So if you want to visit a landmark place of mm-hmm. august wilson you can go to 17227 bedford avenue in pittsburgh it's where the wilson family lived with his you know he's one of six siblings and his mom and stepdad lived there and this is what the house in the movie fences it's semi-based off of uh, uh like we already said that we already talked about bella's market 
That's the mm-hmm. house was next to Bella's Market. This is the house. And before he died, he kind of went back to Pittsburgh and he sees his old house is like dilapidated and falling apart. And he decides to buy it, which I don't think he does. I think once he dies, his nephew buys it. And before he died, he said that he did not want it turned into a museum. He didn't want a museum, a shrine to himself. So his nephew decided to go a different way with it. And the August Wilson house is trying to be, because it still needs money, it's still building and growing, to be a place that would have several different studios and galleries and that they would be able to do plays in the backyard. A lot of them of Wilson's plays. From what I saw, it looked like they did a couple of them, like they did fences back there, which I think is very great, really cool. And so people would be able to go in there. There would be a kitchen in there, I think, that would feed people. And basically, it was just going to be a Black culture hub for artists to be able to come. There also would be like a place that would honor August in some sort, but not necessarily a huge ass museum this is another way to get back to the community so when i Mm -hmm. found out about this i thought that this was basically the perfect thing for any inspiring artists especially in the pittsburgh area if you happen to be over there um off of bedford avenue go by and stop by or if you are feel inspired by the story or most of wilson's stories like it's most of us <laughs> yeah i would say go ahead and go to augustwilsonshouse.org and donate your time donate your money because they are trying to do something with his memory and his honor other than just praising him and i thought that that was some one of the coolest things i have read about him that is so (laughs) amazing we have to go there that is so cool Mm -hmm. it's on the lights camera cocktail tour we're hitting heading there anytime we're in pittsburgh we should definitely do a show in the backyard oh my god yes that would be good that would be so cool Mm -hmm. oh i can't wait till we can get on the road that is gonna be so much fun i can't wait so yeah i thought that that was a fitting z for the people yeah, absolutely. Good one. Too. Amazing. And we're going to definitely check it out. And I think that that was a great way to honor his uncle. So, yeah, absolutely. Ah, ah. We did well, it. Thank girl. you. We did it. Oh, my God. Oh my thank God. you yes. for drinking with me tonight. This thank is awesome. Thank you for drinking with me. Thank you for talking with me. You want to tell people yeah. where they can find us? Yeah, of course. If you love what you hear and you love us, you can listen to us on every single place that podcasts are posted. So we're talking Spotify, Podbean, you know, check us out. Go ahead and check out our beautiful Instagram, our Twitter, uh, Lights, Camera, Cocktails. Cocktails. And uh, go ahead and shout us out. Give us a little hello. Hi, how you doing? And then also send us an email. We're always looking for those close encounters that we want to hear from you, the people that we love, all your great ones. So email us at Lights, Camera, Cocktail, no S. Get the S out of here at gmail.com and we'll definitely hit you back up and uh stay tuned we're always trying to post some really fun stuff we got a lot of things coming our way this spring we have big plans yep so uh check back with us and we love hearing from you and to honor uh black history month yes i have people i've been noticing people throwing out the hashtag uh black future black future month I do too. I was uh, I was correlating that as well. I was like, um, I dig it. So Black History and Black Future Month right yes. here. 
because we're this is what we're doing here is that we usually always try to honor as many diverse artists that we can but we are gonna really stick to uh honoring all of our special favorites this month yup do you want to tell them what movie we're gonna be doing next week oh my god i will be honored Ladies and gentlemen, theys and thems, we are going to be showing Waiting to Exhale. Shoop, 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 I can't wait. Shoot, do, babe. All you gotta do is say, shoop, do. Girl. We've been talking Girl, about it, especially I like know. the end of last year. We mentioned it like every other week. We're every like every other week. We're Are like, you yeah, kidding? you know, they were on waiting to exhale. So now it's we're finally going to do it. We're um, finally doing it, and it's, I can't wait. I can't wait either. So just remember to check us out. Yes. Ugh. Thank you again, Lenny, for drinking and talking with me. Thank you, uh, audience, for drinking and listening to us. Oh, yeah. And uh, I love you, girl. I love you, too, girl. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Lights, Camera, Cocktails. I don't have to like you. (laughs) That was amazing. Are you kidding me? That was...